This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. It was back in the 1980s that AIDS was first discovered. A young boy contracted the disease through a blood transfusion, but was then banned from attending his school. This is Apple for the Teacher, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Anna Thomas. Today's episode is called Bad Blood. The boy contracted AIDS but could not attend school. What happened? It was 50 years ago in 1971 that a baby boy was born in a place called Kokomo, Indiana in the US. Ryan was given a circumcision, but it was soon noted by the doctors that he didn't stop bleeding after the procedure. Ryan was subsequently diagnosed with haemophilia, a bleeding disorder where the blood does not clot properly. The condition can cause spontaneous bleeding as well as bleeding that won't stop after injuries or surgery. Haemophiliacs have low levels of certain proteins that help the blood to clot. They tend to bruise easily and have an increased risk of bleeding inside their joints, which can lead to arthritis. Bleeding in the brain can result in headaches, seizures, or even death. Ryan's parents were told that he would never play any sport and that the life expectancy for haemophiliacs was about 14 years of age. So it's understandable that parents with haemophiliac children would want to protect them as much as possible from injuring themselves. Some families had their children wear knee and elbow pads and even helmets. The child's crib may have been padded or the furniture in the house may also have been padded. However, as Ryan grew up, his parents decided they didn't want to ruin his childhood. So while still being cautious, they allowed him to be a normal kid as much as possible. They allowed him to ride a bike and skateboard. But there was something else which allowed Ryan to have more freedoms than other haemophiliacs, and that was because of a particular blood product called Factor VIII. It contains the blood clotting protein that non-haemophiliacs produce normally, and Factor VIII became available just before Ryan was born. It meant that when he had a bleed, he could be given Factor VIII, which would help his blood to clot and for wounds to heal. The Factor VIII was extracted from healthy individuals and administered to haemophiliacs when needed. So it was fortunate for Ryan to have been born at a time when this product was available, which made him able to live a relatively normal life that haemophiliacs in the past hadn't been able to. For Ryan, his childhood consisted of frequent hospital visits, but this was his normal. As he grew older, he developed a healthy perspective about his disease. He spent enough time in hospital to see that there were plenty of other children who had far worse medical issues than his, such as cancer, and he grew to accept that having haemophilia would be his life, and he decided he wouldn't mope or feel sorry for himself. He really had a wisdom far beyond his years, and this next quote 
just sums up Ryan's tenacity. Quote, Before factor eight, if you had too many bleeds in a joint, it would get stiff. Then you'd get arthritis. It would be really painful to straighten your arm or your leg. And you might end up as a cripple on crutches or in a wheelchair. So the doctors and nurses told me that if I didn't keep coming back for therapy, my arm would get stiff. I'd never be able to even lift my arm so I could touch my hand to my shoulder. I told everyone, no way I'm going to therapy. I'll move my arm on my own. Well, after six weeks, I could touch my shoulder without bothering with physical therapy. From then on, I decided I knew a thing or two about my own illness. Eventually, his hospital visits became fewer as his doctors allowed his mother to administer the Factor Eight at home rather than going to the hospital. Then, when Ryan was about 10 years old, in the early 1980s, a new deadly disease had been discovered, AIDS. I clearly remember at the time, I was in early high school, and remember that there was so much fear about this disease. There were various campaigns aimed at educating the public about how it could be spread, but more importantly, to try to dispel all the false information and dispel the panic. So in those early days, there was a lot of fear that you could get AIDS by coughing, sneezing, holding hands, and the sharing of eating utensils and drinking glasses, and even through urine and feces. But there was also another way that AIDS could be transmitted, and that was through blood transfusions. A person who had donated blood but didn't know they had AIDS could unwittingly infect other people who received transfusions, which meant it was a concern for haemophiliacs who were given factor eight. So this became a dilemma for Ryan's mother. He needed the factor eight to survive, but it could also give him AIDS. At the time, the medical professionals advised that the likelihood of haemophiliacs getting AIDS through factor eight was very low and even lower in children compared to adult haemophiliacs. So his family really didn't have a choice but to continue to give Ryan factor eight when needed, hoping the doctors were correct. By this point in his life, Ryan knew what to expect as a haemophiliac. However, he noticed himself getting sicker and felt something wasn't quite right. He had bouts of vomiting and diarrhea and also night sweats, which he had never had before. He was getting increasingly fatigued and also began coughing a lot. He was ultimately found to have developed pneumonia in both lungs. He got progressively worse and was eventually put into intensive care. He had surgery to extract a piece of his lung for testing, which in itself was very risky for a haemophiliac, but the doctors had no choice. The test concluded that Ryan had AIDS. So his family's biggest fear had been realised. After the initial shock, Ryan came to embrace the situation as he had done with his haemophilia. He said, Haemophilia has taught me to concentrate on all the things I wanted to do. Mum had taught me to look for the happy parts of life and to look away from the bad parts. I didn't want to have AIDS. 
I wanted to fight it. I wasn't going to be an AIDS victim. No one was going to make any victim out of me. I figured that if you believe you're going to get better, you will. If you sit around moping and thinking, I'm not going to make it, then you won't. So I had made up my mind. I'd been told I'd never ride a bike. Now I rode a bike and roller skates. I had plans and I wasn't about to drop them. I wanted to go to high school and be with my friends. I wanted to graduate and go on to Indiana University. Being a teenager was supposed to be fun and I meant to have some. I read that people with AIDS were lucky to live two years after their diagnosis. I wanted to be the one they found a cure for in time. I bet that if I can live for five years, I can beat this thing or I'll die trying. After being treated in hospital, Ryan got better and eventually was able to go home, but still wasn't well enough to go back to school. But when people found out that he had AIDS, it was noticed that people began to change towards him. His friends weren't allowed to come over and the stairs became very noticeable. At church, people would look at Ryan if he coughed. Ryan had spent a lot of time in hospital when he had pneumonia and was subsequently diagnosed with AIDS. And when he finally got better, all he wanted to do was to get back to school. He missed his friends and really understood the importance of getting a good education. He had many dreams for his future. So when he was finally home, he kept asking his mother about going back to school. And eventually his doctors said he was well enough to return. So his mother contacted the school but was certainly not prepared for their response. The school said they wouldn't allow Ryan to return in fear of him infecting the other children with AIDS. His mother discussed all the misinformation about AIDS, about how AIDS could be spread, but despite this, the school did not change their minds. And here is Ryan's response. We have to fight, Mum. If we don't, we won't be allowed to go anywhere or do anything. What they want to do isn't right. Ryan's predicament found its way into the media and he and his mother were interviewed and soon everyone in their hometown was aware of Ryan's story. The health commissioner in the state of Indiana got involved, stating that Ryan wasn't sick and should be allowed to return to school. However, the school did not back down, stating that a number of teachers at his school had refused to teach him. A group of parents even started a campaign to get signatures from people who wanted him to be refused to go back to school. His family ultimately decided not to back down and filed a lawsuit claiming Ryan was being discriminated against. As a compromise, the school offered to provide Ryan a tutor for him to learn at home but there were no teachers who wanted the job. They then offered for him to have a two-way phone hookup where he could listen in to his classroom. Ryan tried this but hated it because he couldn't see the blackboard and he couldn't engage with his friends. The family's life in the town got progressively worse. There were rumours spread that Ryan coughed on the vegetables in the supermarket. Wherever his mother went, people would walk away from her and refuse to serve her. And they also got hate mail. Anyone related to Ryan was told 
that they would catch AIDS and die. Ryan's story eventually captured the attention of the national media in the US. He was invited to New York and appeared on The Today Show. A TV show in Italy even paid for him to be flown to Italy to appear on TV. As part of the lawsuit, the court was provided with medical clearance that Ryan was well enough to return to school and they were overjoyed when they won their court case. However, the school appealed the decision, which was ultimately rejected, and Ryan was finally able to return to school. His story had been so high profile that there was a large media presence on the first day that he returned to school. But students were gathered outside the school with signs that read, Students Against AIDS. Some parents shouted that he was a murderer because kids would die because of him. A large proportion of the students refused to even attend school that day. His mother was called an unfit mother and that Ryan should be taken away from her. She was accused of letting her son kill other kids. A group of parents banded together and called themselves concerned citizens, petitioning the court for Ryan not to be allowed at school. And the court ultimately ruled in their favour and Ryan was given a restraining order that meant he was refused entry to the school. The campaign against the family intensified. Their house was shot at with a bullet going through a window, but luckily no one was home at the time. His mother's car tyres were let down, and kids rode past their house on bikes, throwing all sorts of things at the house, beer cans, whiskey bottles, rubbish, and egging the windows. They shouted that Ryan was a faggot. So Ryan's lawyer appealed the restraining order, which was successful, and so Ryan was allowed to return to school. But many parents decided to take their children out of the school and enrolled them at other schools. For Ryan, it was a very difficult time. He was finally able to return to school, but his treatment was very bad. Kids threw themselves against walls, saying, watch out, there he is. They refused to work with him, saying things like, if people with measles and chickenpox couldn't go to school, then why should he? Meanwhile, the family was getting endless requests for media interviews and even got invited to an AIDS benefit organised by the American Foundation for AIDS Research. And it was there that he met many celebrities, including Elizabeth Taylor. After appearing on a TV show, he got a most unexpected phone call from none other than Elton John, who flew the family to LA in his private jet and he got to attend some of his concerts. They also visited Disneyland and Universal Studios. Meeting Elton was the start of a friendship which continued. Elton kept in contact with Ryan and sent him handwritten letters from all over the world. But despite all of this, Ryan and his family were still having to deal with the hate in their own town, so much so that they wanted to leave and live somewhere else, but they just didn't have the financial means to do so. Ryan's condition had been very expensive, so it wasn't an option. However, it was then that a film company offered to make a documentary about Ryan, which they agreed to. This gave them some money to buy a new house 
in a town about 30 minutes away in a place called Cicero, and Elton John also helped them to purchase the house. The family were very keen to leave Kokomo behind, but were apprehensive about how their new town would receive them. His high profile meant that there was no doubt everyone would know who he was. So when Ryan and his mother met with the school principal, they were overjoyed when he was welcomed to the school with open arms. And before Ryan was even due to start at the school, a girl from his school who was the president of the student body came to visit, saying that he was welcome at their school and she also visited on other occasions, bringing other students to meet him. She even bought photos of the teachers so he knew them before school started. The school had also planned to give the students lessons about AIDS. Ryan and his mother couldn't believe that two schools could be so different, but rather than being bitter, he totally understood, saying the following. In Kokomo, fear had gotten the better of everybody. I understood that. No one was really against me. They were against the disease. Parents were worried about their own kids. When I first heard about AIDS, I was just like everybody else in Kokomo. I was scared and so was my family. Many kids who called me names were only repeating what they heard from grown-ups. Kids were just doing what kids do, listening to their parents. I decided that if the adults ignored the medical facts, I ought to concentrate on talking to the kids. Most adults are pretty set in their ways, but kids are still learning. If I hung out with the kids, talked to them, maybe they'd go home and change their parents' minds. So at his new school, this was the approach that Ryan was going to take. And the school asked him to delay starting for two weeks so that they could educate the students. But when he finally started at the school, it was totally different from his last school. Kids asked him to sit with them in the cafeteria and they weren't afraid to be partnered up with him on projects. Ryan was so happy. He was socialising with kids out of school, having a normal teenage life. He said, kids told their parents they understood AIDS wasn't contagious. They weren't scared of me and they wanted to be in school. One family asked their kid to stay home and the kid said no. So their life in the new town was wonderful. Ryan loved school again and the family continued their work to raise awareness about AIDS. Ryan was invited to Washington and met with the US president and even gave a speech at the Commission on AIDS. He also got to speak to a group of teachers and here is what he said about it. Quote, so here I was in New Orleans giving a speech to this national convention of 10,000 teachers about having AIDS. And I wondered if Mr. Burke Holter, my math teacher back at my old school, was out there somewhere. I remembered how I couldn't believe it when I'd heard him say on TV that he didn't want me in school. He was my favourite teacher. Oh, how sad is that? As seen, Ryan already had developed a friendship with Elton John. And then one day, out of the blue, he received another phone call from a mega star, none other than Michael Jackson. Similar to Elton, Michael invited him to his ranch, Neverland, 
and they developed a close relationship. Ryan could not believe the direction his life had taken, from being a very sick little boy in the hospital to now becoming a celebrity himself, travelling the world, becoming a spokesperson for AIDS. It was just too surreal to be true. And after already having a documentary made about his life, Ryan was approached to have a full-length feature film made about him, which the family agreed to. He was played by a child actor, but he also got a role in the movie himself as a boy suffering from AIDS. The boy he played was actually a friend of his that he got to know in the hospital who ultimately died from AIDS. I found this movie on YouTube and it's called The Ryan White Story. So, as Ryan got older, he was defying the initial prognosis that he may not live beyond 14 and he often thought about his future. He said, I was 16 going on 17 and I felt fine. I thought a lot about girls and I wanted to date. I knew it wouldn't be easy. Mum said, it'll be hard to meet a girl straight on. A lot of parents won't want you to have anything to do with their daughters. I would really, really like to get married and adopt children, but I worry that no one will ever love me enough to be my wife. Then I start wondering if I have the courage to adopt and set up a family all by myself. I would love to fall in love. I'm really looking forward to it. Then it was around New Year's when he was 17 that Ryan began to start feeling sick again. He said, I had days when rinsing shampoo out of my hair in the shower left me weak and breathless. I'd have to lean against the tile for a few minutes before I had enough energy to dry myself off and get dressed. Besides my swollen stomach and hernia, I often walked half bent over and I had open sores on my legs. My throat was very sore and I could hardly breathe in the cold. For the last five years, I'd been strong. I'd have to go into the hospital, things would look bad, but then I'd be out again and I'd be fine. But now I'd been sick for the longest time with these chronic problems. Every week I seem to have something new. All I do is think about dying, I told mum. I can't sleep because I'm scared I might not wake up. It's never been like this before. And sadly, Ryan's condition worsened and he became unconscious and had to be put into intensive care. Elton flew in to be with him in the hospital and Michael also phoned him. Michael wanted to speak to Ryan but couldn't because he was unconscious. However, Elton put the phone up to Ryan's ear and said, Ryan, you can't turn down a superstar like this. I'm B-grade compared to Michael. Ryan received many other famous visitors while in intensive care. They spoke to him and played his favourite music, although the doctors told them that Ryan was unaware of his surroundings. But Ryan's condition worsened. Michael flew in to be by his side, but he didn't make it in time. This wonderful boy finally succumbed to the illness at age 18. He died on the 8th of April, 1990. Elton and Michael attended Ryan's funeral. Elton had helped his mother plan the funeral and picked out the music. The minister said the following in his eulogy. Many of you who are here are very successful. 
Your lives are filled with glamour and fame, yet you brought Ryan and his cause into your lives and aided him in his mission and allowed us to do the same. Now I challenge all of us to accept his faith. For you see, Ryan was successful too in getting all of us involved. He helped us to care and to believe that with God's help, nothing is impossible, even for a kid. And here is what Elton said. I have met a lot of people in my life who were brave and courageous. But when I met Ryan, he gave new meaning to these words. Having the AIDS virus is a scary, horrible thing to cope with. But Ryan coped silently and with great pain. He had the dignity to bring the message of hope to all those who have this terrible disease. Although young, he had wisdom beyond his years. It is as if God had chosen him to ease the prejudice that people have towards AIDS victims. I firmly believe that during his short life on earth, Ryan touched millions of people, and I believe that in his new life, he is doing the same. Ryan White was a miracle of humanity. And Michael also decided to write a song for Ryan, which you will hear at the end of the episode. Ryan had written a book, which I used to tell his story, and it's called Ryan White, My Own Story. So what has happened since his death? It would be impossible for me to go through everything that has happened that he was instrumental in achieving. AIDS today is no longer this scary disease that is surrounded in fear and misinformation. His mother, Jeannie, continued devoting her life to continuing Ryan's legacy, and she is still active today. And here is Jeannie herself talking about her beautiful boy, Ryan. I think Ryan embraced embraced it because I think eventually he saw that he was making a difference and people were listening to him. That, you know, he, I don't think he set out to do it. I don't think, but I think that he saw that the message was getting out there, education was being done, and people were listening to him. He just wanted to be an ordinary kid, and I think his room shows that. I mean, here was an ordinary kid that liked to collect comic books, G.I. Joes, and Transformers, and just like every kid did during that, that time period. And I think that's what Ryan wanted to be. It was neat to be able to meet the celebrities and famous people and all, but when it come right down to it, I, I can remember Michael Jackson saying, you know, Ryan never mentioned him being sick, never mentioned him having AIDS or he didn't feel good. He said, every time, I've ever, every time I was ever with Ryan, I mean, you know, he, he didn't want to appear sick. He didn't want people, you know, like anybody to feel sorry for him. When he was first diagnosed, he used to see people on TV like wasted away. And, he, and that really bothered him because he said that gives a bad impression of what people with AIDS are, are like, that they can't do anything. They're just always on their deathbed. He said, I want people to understand that people with AIDS can do everything anybody else does. He made people listen and educate themselves on AIDS far sooner than we would have had it not been Ryan as the teacher and the educator. I think uh, we would have been in a lot slower process of getting attention drawn to this disease. He always said, I'd like to be famous, but not because he ha I had AIDS. But I think that he was famous because of his education. I remember Evan Bay said, I think Ryan will be, be remembered more for what he taught us about living than the disease that affected him. Yeah. 
So I, I thought that was a neat quote that, that, that he gave because I think, um, you know, I think Ryan thought that all anybody would ever remember about him was he was the AIDS boy, you know. Yeah. I don't think he'd ever have ever even dreamed that 25 years later people would still be talking about Ryan White. And I couldn't end this episode without letting you hear from Ryan himself. And you'll hear the song Michael Jackson wrote for Ryan called Gone Too Soon. How do you handle, um, like, having AIDS? I try to put it back in my mind and I try to just live my life like everybody else does. How does it feel that you've lived this long? Well, I'm happy about it. Um, I, from the very beginning, I, I said I was going to fight this disease and I was going to win. Aren't you scared at night that you think that you're not going to wake up in the morning? Well, at first I was, but I'm not really now. Because my mother told me we're all going to die someday, so just to step up to it. I don't think he should be here. If people with chicken pox and measles can't come, why should he? There's been a lot of rumors that um, when he gets mad, he spits on people. You guarantee that my daughter will not get AIDS by helping. If you can't, then he shouldn't be in school. I don't want to take the chance of my child being right next to him and maybe accidentally being sneezed on. You know, I can't blame him for being scared because it was new to everybody at the time. You know, when you don't know about something, you're, you're going to be afraid of it. Yeah, but that's at 13 quite a heavy thing to find out that people can hate you just for being sick or different. Yeah, well, they really didn't hate me. The, um, they just, you know, they were afraid of me. And eventually, you know, it got to the point where they didn't want anything to do with me there. They just wanted to, you know, keep me out no matter what. Because of lack of education on AIDS, discrimination, fear, panic, and lies surrounded me. I became the target of Ryan White jokes. I was labeled a troublemaker, my mom an unfit mother, and I was not welcome anywhere. Who are you doing this for, the speaking? Well, basically for everyone who has AIDS. You know, people just aren't listening, and we have to make them listen. Do you think you're finally getting it across? Yeah, I think a lot more people are not afraid of AIDS now, and they're not afraid of someone who has it. And I think they're more willing to accept people who have AIDS. What do you think all of this being in the spotlight has done to you? Um, you know, it's opened up a lot of your private life, and you know, you can, there's not a whole lot you can do without somebody wanting something to do with it. Does it take away the kind of feeling of having a normal life that you've worked so hard to achieve? Yeah, but you know, someday everybody's going to listen, and it's going to be over, and I feel like we've done our job. And you'll stop talking. Yeah. <laughs> you must hope that soon. Yeah. Ryan, you have had extraordinary success fighting this disease. Do you think you can keep fighting it? Well, I'm going to give him the best shot. Ryan, we all miss you very much. Goodbye.